Welcome to the Earth Kingdom Prairie Home Companion, a bi-weekly podcast where two nerds and a newbie watch Avatar The Last Airbender and provide all their thoughts, feelings, and opinions. I'm Kelly. I'm Mike. And I'm JJ. To recap, previously on Avatar The Last Airbender, Aang found an earthbending teacher and Zuko sat alone with his past. Very good. <laughs> I think nice you guys just say that every week. <laughs> I feel like they're getting like tighter and more succinct and, and, and good. I think, I think we're, we're honing in on the one-sentence pitches now. <laughs> I was just being nice. <laughs> so we are doing two episodes today, starting with The Chase. So I will just go right ahead and give my recap for that one. Azula and her friends hunt down our heroes throughout the night. The group begins to splinter and tensions run high on so little sleep, but the threat of a common enemy binds everyone together. Aang, Katara, Sokka, Toph, Zuko, and Iroh unite temporarily to bring Azula down, forgetting for a moment that she has lightning up her sleeve. Yeah. Yeah. So... I don't know. I feel I uh, I feel this episode right now simply because I got home from a book event at one o'clock in the morning yesterday, so I'm running Oof. on less than five hours of sleep, and I'm I'm the sort of person who needs like nine hours mm-hmm. on a good day to like be fully functional. So I I feel this episode right now. Yeah, that moment when Sokka is like, "Oh God, the sun came up." That was so real. Like. <laughs> I don't know how many times I've had that exact moment. Like, well, oh God, you've it's had over. insomnia ever since I've known you, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, me and Sokka, we were sharing a moment there yeah. in this episode. I don't know. So, what did you guys think about the structure of this episode? Because when I watched it again, I was kind of like, hmm. <laughs> There's a lot of great character stuff that's happening, but aside from that, there's, like, not anything actually happening plot-wise. Right. It, it, yeah. There's a lot of strange things about this episode. I really liked, quote-unquote, the message of the episode, which is kind of centered around Toph, you know, and she has this conversation with Iroh, and that's I'm kind so of... jealous. That's, I know, well, yes. <laughs> I want, so I want, jealous. I want Toph and Ira to go off and have their own little spin-off show. Um, and, but that conversation that, that they have, that. that's kind of like the heart of the episode, right? And it's all about Toph saying, people think I'm helpless. Everyone assumes I can't take care of myself, but I can take care of myself. And no one believes me, you know, and Ira's like, well, I wasn't thinking that about you. And I think you can do great. And they have this little conversation and then Toph feels better. But that's not, this, the whole first section of the episode when Katara and Toph are at each other's throats, that isn't the conflict. The conflict is not that Toph thinks that everybody believes that she can't do anything, and so she, you know, that's not what the problem is. The problem is, as Katara clearly states, that Toph isn't helping out or being part of the group. And so the conversation that she has with Iroh is, like, about this whole other emotional beat that doesn't exist in the episode. Like, I believe that that is a real emotional beat for Toph and that she does feel those things. But that's not what the first whole half of the episode focused on. 
And so I just feel like there was just this weird, like just the messaging and like thematically of this episode was just kind of a mess. I could not understand what the point of this episode was, actually. Because you talked about the message, but I didn't actually think that was the point either. I thought it was just like a nice interlude where, you know, the, I'm so jealous. Like, if I, if I could do anything in this world, it would be to have tea with Iroh and him to, like, solve all of my life problems. Like, that's, that's what I want in life. Um, but I, I just feel like... I mean, I, like I said, I liked a lot of it. I thought it was very funny. You know, I love when Toph... I love Toph's nicknames for people. She calls Katara Sugar Queen. Um, it's like all these, like, really small character moments and beats that I really enjoyed. But the episode was really just muddled to me. It didn't really seem to arise from any organic conflict. It was just Azula's chasing them down. And they separate. And then they face Azula at the end. Like, that's it. There's nothing that moves the story forward. Well, I think that they introduce the idea that Toph doesn't fit in right away. Like, I feel like that is... And it comes up in the next episode, too. I mean, she's an abrasive personality, and everybody else has already kind of got their whatever rhythms, you know, with each other going. I mean, it's it's not enough to build an episode around, but... Well, or maybe it is, it, but they I didn't. I think it is. I I like that. I like that she joins the group and it's not, you know, seamless. That she is a new person and she does change the chemistry of the group. I like that. But I don't think they did a good job with it. At all. Because, because that whole storyline with Toph is such a small part of this episode. And it makes... Because Katara is the only one who gets upset, and Aang gets upset, but not until Toph insults Appa. And only because Toph insults Appa. It's not, you know, Aang doesn't care one way or another about whether or not she helps in the camp or anything else. None of that seems to bother him. So for so much of the conflict, it's just Katara. Um, And so it doesn't seem so much like she's disrupted the group harmony so much as that she's gotten on Katara's nerves or like there and, and Katara isn't wrong in what she's saying. It just, I don't know. It, the whole thing was just, I wish we had an episode about how Toph joining the group changes the dynamic. And I, I just feel like this, like it did it, but it did it in a way that didn't make any sense to me. I don't know. Should we talk more in depth maybe about kind of this, should we just kind of go through the episode? Yeah, um, let, let's just go through at least a few plot points. Um, yeah. I so mean, the, you know, we open on them uh, being tracked by a mysterious smokestack. They don't even know what it is yet at the mm-hmm. beginning, right? Well, it actually yeah. opens with Appa shedding all over the place. And I was going to say this, and I, was, I wrote down in my notes, Katara's the mom. And... I know all about being the mom. Not the mom as in I have a child now, but, like, the mom of your friend group. Like, that person, mm-hmm. that person yeah. who, like, everyone else is, like, off there, like, being goofy and silly. And then there's one person off to the side, like, guys, get it together. <laughs> Put away your toys, huh? <laughs> yeah, I am, I am the mom and have been the mom of my friend groups since the dawn of time. <laughs> So I was like, Katara's the mom. I'm the mom. Aww. 
This is why we said when you are so like Katara, it's not even funny. Her hair is even part of her personality, like you. Yeah, it is. Yeah. (laughs) The parallels are uncanny. Yeah. So, yeah, they all start Appa shedding, and Sokka and Aang are goofing off, making wigs and beards and stuff out of the fur, and Katara expects... You know, Toph to be similarly disgruntled, but then Toph comes through with the hairy pits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess that's so. <laughs> Me too. Oh, that was so great. I mean, even Katara chuckled a little at it. Yeah, she broke eventually, as did I, usually, eventually. <laughs> well, and, and, the, and they're not tired yet. That's the whole point. It's like they only start to splinter that way when they don't have enough sleep mm-hmm. to kind All of... Right. Get you know because she's you know she's going to be the mom of the group anyway, and, but I don't think she would have been so irritated if she slept. Right. <laughs> well, I am terrible if I don't get enough sleep, so I understand that part of it for sure. Um, but they do get chased by the smoke stacky thing, and it's actually really cool because, again, I just feel like this whole episode was just handled really weirdly. But Toph. Um, feels it coming and she's kind of like it's like an earthquake or an avalanche but it's not really that it's something else um and she's the one who kind of is always warning them that this thing is behind them and we see it and it's like it's a big tank and is this i can't remember is this the first like real mechanical machinery type thing i mean we haven't seen any cars there haven't been we've, we've we have seen been, tanks we've seen we have tanks. seen tanks it was, in the, it was in the northern air temple episode where okay okay yep 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 crawling yep. up the mountainside we've seen those yep. i forgot about that and but, in yeah. the water um the end of season one they were attacking um the northern water City. They had tanks, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I'd just forgotten, because I knew we had the big ships, but I had forgotten whether or not we'd ever seen tanks. This one is pretty unique, though. Um, the design of it, I, I just noticed this. Um, the front of it has, like, an upturned horn on it. Like a rhino, uh, yeah. Yeah, and which exists on Azula's shoes and the front of her battleship. Like, everything she owns is, like, Azula designed. <laughs> it's like yes, having it's a batarang, or a, right? Exactly. <laughs> Everything she has is the Azula blank. Nice. Yeah. The Azula tank. The Azula ship. The Azula everything. Yeah. That's I right. love it. I love it. I um, love Azula. I really do. I think she's. I great. do too. I do too. She's crazy, but she's great. Um, so they get chased, and you know this kind of happens. Uh, repeatedly, but the first time it happens, you know, they all get on Appa and pack up and they fly for a little while and they think that they've lost their pursuers. They get down, they go to make camp, and this is kind of where the conflict begins, where Katara's like, hey, Toph, can you help us unload? And she's like, I've got my own stuff. Why would I need to help unload any of your stuff? Um, And it kind of sets Katara off and they have a little bit of a squabble. And then Katara goes away, and then later she comes back. And I I have done this pointed apology before, where <laughs> you apologize... It's a leading apology. You apologize <laughs> first because you want the other person to apologize to you, and you'll be the bigger person, and you'll do it first, sure. knowing, knowing that they are supposed to reciprocate. I have absolutely done this. I'm sorry, David. 
<laughs> I'm it sorry. didn't start with David. <laughs> I, we don't need to like expose all the deep dark secrets of I'm, my life here. I'm just saying anything. it's not a recent development. <laughs> so that I was a very familiar with, and even that tone of voice—it's like that tone of voice that's like, "I'm really sorry. I know we're all really tired, and you know, da da da." And then you just kind of like pause, waiting, and of course, Toph does not apologize. She she doubles down and confirms what Katara's just said, and it's like, "Yeah, you do look a little tired." And Katara, <laughs> Katara says, "I meant all of us." <laughs> <laughs> Katara's calm voice is very like middle management. Like <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I hate it when we talk about Katara. I hate it. I know. Oh, maybe that's so the point of this home. episode. I know, maybe that's it. It's a little close to home. Oh yeah. god. Um, and what I actually loved was, like, Aang is trying to calm them down, too. He's like, look, I'm sure. And yeah. He's, like, telling Katara, like, calm down. It's fine. And she's like, I am completely calm. And she's, like, animated in such a way that, like, her eyes are bloodshot. And she's, like, yeah. extremely, extremely upset. Um, I so use that great. gif a lot sometimes. And he just kind of, like, I am completely calm. Yeah. Aang just, like, tiptoes out of the frame. He's like, I can <laughs> see that. <laughs> He's like, okay. Yeah. And Sokka's like, I'm just enjoying the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And then I, I don't, I, you know what? I'm not even going to say that because Mike will just contradict me with a million stories from our adolescence. So never mind. Um, but <laughs> they are later, you know, when they're finally unpacked and they're trying to get some sleep and Katara starts goading off really passive aggressively and she's like wow these stars are really beautiful and it's like who cares about the stars you're all trying to sleep anyway why are you bringing this up there's no reason to say this other than to be a brat and to throw it in Toph's face and so Toph of course earth bends her and like you know shoves her over she lands on Sokka I laughed pretty hard at that it's like, great like cause Katara's just being kind of a dick and <laughs> Toph like from inside of her closed off earth tent, which I also loved. How I much love that cool too. Earth bending stuff we saw. Um, I also inside love that the she tent moves people out of the way with earth bending. They yeah, just right. right over. It's yeah, she great. slid Sokka over. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, she can send like a landmine underground of earth bending, and she just like popped Katara up into the air. It's so good. It's so I was good. So happy. And so happy later. with the amount of earth bending in these two episodes. Yeah, it was really great. Um, and so, so they're talking about who could be chasing them and they, I think it's Sokka suggests, oh, maybe it's Zuko and Toph, of course, doesn't know who Zuko is because she's only just recently joined them. So she asks and Sokka says, oh, some angry freak with a ponytail. (laughs) (laughs) Who's checked us all over the world. But I also love that Katara's like, what's wrong with ponytails, ponytail? I know. (laughs) And And he's he's like, like, this is a warrior's wolf tail. Yeah. Sure Sokka's it is, great. Sokka. Sure it I know. is. Sokka's great. <laughs> Sokka's just kind of like, I just want to sleep, and I just want you children to stop squabbling, <laughs> basically. Know. I'm pretty sure something has fallen on him, or splashed him, or somehow hit him in every single episode. I would believe that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think so, too. Oh, that scene, too. Again, like, when we're talking about this episode, it's kind of hard to have, like, a through line for this, because it's so 
just kind of scenes strung together. But the scene where they're they're like, no, let's stand our ground and confront everyone. And Toph's like, we can take him. It's three on three. And then Sokka's like, I, I can fight. fight. And it's the <laughs> same <laughs> animation like, oh. that they did for Katara earlier. I know it's that, the that same like face. Freak out thing. And Katara's like, okay, I'm sorry. I you know I forgot about you because since you don't bend, so it's three on three plus Sokka. Three on three plus Sokka. Toph is great. <laughs> she is great. <laughs> And she kicks up, like, an entire wall to block Azula's fire. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm a simple person. I like the flashy tricks. But, like, Sokka later does prove that he can fight. Like, when he and Katara confront Mei and Tai Lee, he's there. He's got his boomerang and his clubby thing, whatever we don't remember. His hockey stick spear thing. Um, but he's there, and he's, like, holding his own. He's fighting mm-hmm. off, like, you know, so he's not useless, you know, even if he doesn't have bending abilities. But I just no, love he's that. never been useless. I, that's something that I always genuinely appreciate, is Sokka legitimately contributes to the group, which I love. Um, yeah. And I also love, too, later on in the next, like, you know, they this happens repeatedly, sort of this thing where they they fly, they get down and land, they make camp they're chased again they get up they fly you know so they're going through the night and they never get to sleep and at one point the sun starts coming up like mike was talking about earlier and Sokka is despondent and he goes down in this spiral of like i've never slept before what if i fall asleep and something happens and something it always, always happens <laughs> <laughs> yeah that got me right where i live like that was that was like so many mornings <laughs> Why does the sun keep coming up? <laughs> so good. So good. And then finally they land and they're all exhausted and Katara kind of pointlessly I mean, I think she has a point earlier in the episode when she's talking about how Toph isn't contributing. But in this final kind of escalation which what causes Toph to leave is when Katara blames the whole thing on them, like on her we're all so tired because you didn't help set up camp, and if you had, we could have gotten to sleep, and then it wouldn't have been so bad to fly through the whole night. And I'm just kind of like, I just don't believe that's true. <laughs> Toph's reaction right there, like, made me burst out laughing. She, she like, screeched the word what and grabbed the ground and, like, cracked it around all of her fingers. Like, yeah. I don't know, like, it just, like, shattered. Something it's about like, that. What? Right, like, like, suddenly. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> She, I mean, the whole, it, the, the other thing is it's like, so this whole episode didn't feel like it had a plot. It felt like a bunch of scenes kind of strung together loosely by kind of oh, a yeah. line. And then the whole point, because at some point they all get separated. And when Toph leaves the group, it feels contrived to me. Oh, totally. Because it, it really genuinely feels like Katara... Well, she's obviously like you can see she's tired and she's upset and all that all that sort of stuff, but like it just seems a little out of character for her to just be like, It's your fault because you didn't help us in the first place. Like I kinda of feel like it's a little bit far. Like you could still be within the I'm cranky and I'm angry and I'm gonna push a boundary or, you know, whatever right. without kind of doing that, which felt well, weird. this is why it would have made so much more sense if the conversation that Toph had with Iroh was sort of what was going on. If it wasn't that Toph wasn't helping the group, it's that they all were coddling her. her. 
Yeah. And she was getting increasingly upset because she wanted to assert her independence and they wouldn't let her. And then if they had been like, well, if we didn't have to help you with everything because you're blind, then we could have gotten away or gotten to sleep or whatever it is. If it was the coddling that, you know, was a problem and then she explodes and is like, I never asked you to coddle me. I can take care of myself. I'm going to prove it. I'm going to go off on my own. I don't need you. You know, like that at least would have made sense. <laughs> yeah, but, I, I agree. It just was kind of like, mm, like but I just mm. feel like this whole thing where Toph deliberately isn't. And at first when they were doing it, you know, in the very, very beginning when she's Katara's like, hey, you want to, you know, some of us fetch water and some of us start cooking. We all kind of do something to help. At first, when she was refusing, I thought it was going to be a class thing or a privilege thing because she came from a very noble and she had servants upbringing. to do all of it. Yeah. yeah, and I was like, maybe she just doesn't, you know, want, like think it's beneath her or doesn't know how to do it or whatever else, and so they're going to explore that. Um, so that's where I thought it was going initially, and then it wasn't about that at all. It was just this I don't. It was just a very weird, like the emotional through line isn't there for me. So I agree, it's very contrived when she storms off. Um, I do love that she just moves Sokka out of the way. It's great. Yeah, she just slides into the excellent. side. And I also I love like, that I wish Sokka, I had that move. I also love that Sokka tries to stop her and tries to talk to her before she goes off. Because this is when Aang has just yelled at her, too, because she blames everything on Appa. And Sokka's like, wait a minute, you know, and she pushes him aside and she leaves. And then Aang, Aang is despondent. He's like, I can't believe I yelled at my teacher. Oh, my God. And Katara's like, yeah, we were really mean. And Sokka just goes, yeah. You guys you two were, were really jerks. mean. <laughs> you two were jerks. <laughs> like, oh, another I, thing that I... <clears throat> I felt it sorry. was slightly justified that, you know, he he was snapped out because, you know... And the thing is, Toph was right, too, because it was his trail of shedding uh-huh. fur that gave him the way. Um, but I can see, like, Appa's a sore spot for him, and he's going to lash out. And then, of course, he's immediately contrite, which fits for Aang. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like, it fits for Aang, but it felt like Katara was like needlessly just kind of pushing yeah. buttons in a way that she normally isn't, kind of. You know, it just felt a little bit like, hmm. I don't know. Anyway, go on, Mike. I'm sorry, I forgot. I can't oh, no. I was just going to point out that um, the final time that they're flying on Appa when he falls asleep in the sky, mm-hmm. um, everyone kind of behaves like sleeping on Appa's back, like in the saddle in your sleeping bags, is like the first time they've ever thought of this idea is in this episode. And they don't think of it until they're about to fall out of the sky, basically. <laughs> this is kind of what I was like. I was like, when Appa is flying, why aren't you guys, like, posting one Taking person ships. as watchmen and then yeah. everybody else sleeping? <laughs> Come on, you guys like have been traveling for, like, over a year now. like Or close to it. It feels like a year. Been a while. But, yeah. Yeah, I... I was, I was like, you didn't think of the watch system where somebody's, like, guarding you while, you know, somebody relaxes? I actually thought this was, like, an interesting animation detail. This is sort of small. But any time Toph is on Abba, she clutches that saddle really yeah. hard. Like, uh, you know, right. because she can't see. She can't, she, there's no earth around her, so. Um, I noticed I, that, I, too, and I loved yeah. it. I, lo- I thought that was a great character detail because she, of course she would be scared. She can't see at this point. So, uh-huh. 
Wait, so there's like a lot of really great character interactions because it, later in the episode, Aang says, okay, I'm going to pick up all of Appa's loose fur and like create a false trail. So you guys go look for Toph and then I'll distract everybody by leading everyone on a false trail. Um, and then it just, Aang just kind of goes to this like abandoned town yeah, like super there. super western. It's like the ghost town, and he just sits yeah. in the middle and waits. <laughs> you, there's even wind chimes just like dangling from an, an unoccupied house. Yeah, no one lives in that town. No, and he's just was, like sitting there waiting for whatever confrontation it is, and then like you know, Sokka and Katara go off, and then they fight May and Tylee, which I thought was a pretty cool fight scene. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. it was awesome. Um, and I also like that you can see that Tylee's chi blocking works on people that don't have bending abilities, too. Yeah, when she turns Sokka into, like, like spaghetti, basically. <laughs> but she tries to knock him out with the head, and he, it doesn't work because it's it too hard. Too hard. She's just like, mm-hmm. He's just like, like Ow. no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I also love later when Tylee's like... Um, is it just me or is that guy kind of cute? And I was I like, have Tylee speaking some real truth. <laughs> and how she, there's a lot of great Tylee moments in this episode too. When she's trying to figure out the word, she's like, oh, oh clumps. clumps. Yeah. She's like, it has like an, uh, sound. And May is like clumps. She's like clumps. And like, gives her a big hug. It's all excited. So great. Did we make the comparison? To between May and Tylee to uh, Daria and her sister Quinn was Quinn. that us? We did not, but that is a great observation. It is a really good observation, for sure. <laughs> yeah, because like when when they catch up to um, Sokka and Katara, May and they like catch them. They're pinned to a tree, and Sokka's mm-hmm. basically made of spaghetti. Um, May May is so nonplussed. She could. She's like, ugh. Now this is over. Victory is boring. boring. Right. (laughs) I love Azula's friends. I really do. They're so great. They're just. (laughs) And what I like about both of them is that they're not portrayed as evil. Yeah, that's true. You know, like, Azula's clearly got some screws loose. You know, she's she's out there, and she's, a, like, a psychopath. But her friends aren't. Her friends are kind of in this because they're Azula's friends. They're loyal to Azula. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, you know, Tylee obviously doesn't... I don't think she really has a mean bone in her body. <laughs> you know, she's, right. like, cheerful and happy all the time. She's like, this is and, my assignment, so I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, and, and May's just kind of like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I just, I love the two of them, because they also feel like real teenage girls to me. <laughs> like, and I have been both of them at different times <laughs> in my life. I love them. They are great. So then, while they follow Appa, Azula follows the clumps and comes across Aang alone. And she... When when Aang doesn't immediately know who she is, she does an impression of Zuko. <laughs> right. And then, and then when Aang doesn't say anything, she says, "It's okay. You can laugh. It's funny." <laughs> She's so awful. She's I know. Like, that was very like 
but Joker in the Batman way. She's so awful in a very yeah. specifically real way. Yeah. You know, so it's terrible. like Zuko isn't even there at this point in time. She's not even doing it to hurt him because he's there. She's just doing it because it's who she is. <laughs> oh and man. Her impression of Zuko too is so mean. <laughs> But also so spot on. Oh, it made me wonder, does Aang know Zuko's motivation? To get because that was the thing. She's, she, like, covered her hand with her scary claw fingers and was like... I, know. I was like, I she's got so. some like, manicurist on. on that tank because yeah. her nails... I know, I know, they were scary. I don't know if, if Aang knows the details about... Um, Zuko's exile and his father and all that, but I think he clearly knows that Zuko's goal is to capture him and bring him to back. his father. Yeah, and I think he okay. knows. I think he must know he's a prince too, because back in the the very first two episodes, when Aang willingly goes on the ship, you know, and he's a prisoner there. So I'm, I'm assuming he knows Zuko's a prince, and he knows that Zuko wants to capture him. I don't know if he knows about the exile though. I don't think he does, because when Zuko does confess that to Aang, Aang is in the Avatar state at the end of season one. So Aang wouldn't That's right, know in the cave, that. Right. alone. Yeah, mm. so we know that, but Aang doesn't know that. I mean, obviously Aang would recognize the scar, and I have right. to look for the Avatar. <laughs> I was just like, oh, it's yeah. so mean, and so specific, and so I real. I know, I know. <laughs> and then we get... Oh, so one one quick thing before we get to the final showdown with everyone. We did talk briefly about Iroh and Toph sharing tea, and I love that scene. But probably my favorite thing about that scene is when Iroh is telling Toph about Zuko, about his nephew, who is having a hard time, and mm-hmm. she's like, is he lost? And Iroh says a little bit, yes, he's lost, you know, meaning like spiritually lost. But then... He says, I know he doesn't want me around right now, but if he needs me, I'll be here. And so we're given to understand that he's essentially been following Zuko this entire time, but he's not following him to catch up with him and interfere and convince him to come back. He's just following him. He just wants to be there when Zuko inevitably needs him and he's respecting Zuko's need to go off on this individual journey and do his own thing. And he's being respectful of that while still being present. And Iroh is just the best dad, you guys. Like, he's just <laughs> he, he's the, the best. Just, he's the greatest. Like I said, I just like, I don't want, I want nothing more than to just sit and have tea with him and have him fix all of my life problems. Just, yeah, not to jump ahead, but that moment in the next episode where he tosses the tea out the window not to hurt Zuko's feelings, I was like, that is a perfect, like, metaphor for him being, like, a good parent. He, and yes. then he's like, how's the tea? And he's like, it was bracing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so good. Anyways, back, back to this. Uh, yeah, exactly this one, yeah. So, okay, so Azula is there facing off against Aang, and Zuko arrives because he has been following the tanks. So he shows up, and we get this really tense kind of standoff with the three of them for a moment, where they're in a triangle, and they're all waiting for someone to make the first move. 
and then we get a Very really Western. <laughs> yeah, you know, like with their hand above the above <laughs> the, the gun, yeah. ready to draw. <laughs> Except they're then, all posed in their like, respective Yeah, it's almost it's like forms. Mexican standoff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then we get the fight scene between the three of them, which is great. And it's, you know, Azula's blue fire, Zuko's red fire, and Aang just twirling and dodging in between them. That is a great fight scene. It was really mm-hmm. good, yeah. It's also really like wonderful. That Azula's flames don't stay blue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I noticed that too. They they come out blue and then they turn into regular fire as soon as it starts burning other things. Mm-hmm. Right. Which I actually really liked. Yeah. It's really great. And then everyone, I think Sokka and Katara arrive first. Yeah. And Iroh, every, everybody just kind of converges. And we get Toph too, who, doesn't she earthbend and like knock Azula over? What does she yeah. do? Yeah. She That's like her entrance. behind is... Azula. Mm-hmm. I can't remember exactly what the move she she did was, but... Right. She, yeah, she kind of just sneaks up on Azula. Yeah. And she says like, something... You me. <laughs> yeah, and like, for the... I mean, we've talked at length about how there is no, like, emotional through line in this story, but they end it, quote-unquote, with Toph coming in and being like, I thought you guys could use some help, and Katara's like, thanks, and like... They're good now. And it's just like, what is this? Like, what's happening? <laughs> they didn't but, confront each other. They didn't work yeah, through any of their problems. Just, it was just so like weird. magically solved by sage advice from Iroh. That's, well, maybe I mean, Toph when, had like a really good nap or something, you know? Uh, that's that would have been maybe awesome she just left if it off. she went off and just went to sleep. And <laughs> just back. like came back. Okay, I feel better, y'all. <laughs> like, it's funny. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And then eventually they all corner Azula, who is alone because Tylee and May have been taken out by Appa. They're, you know, in the river somewhere. And so they're not there. So Azula's alone and everybody else corners her, including Iroh and Zuko. So it's our heroes plus their antagonists all against a common enemy, which Azula pretty much calls out. She's like, well, I guess you're all on the same side against me, you know. Uh, and it's, it's interesting because you, you know that there's no way that it's going to end with Azula prisoner because she's Azula and it's just not going to happen. But you think about if it were, if they were to subdue her enough where to remove that immediate threat, do they then just immediately turn on each other? Like what, you know, happens there? And so it's a really interesting tense moment and again everyone is just standing frozen waiting and Azula gets the shot off at Iroh and I have watched the next episode because we were going to do it for this podcast but I will 100% admit that I thought he was dead and the reason yeah I thought she'd killed him and I thought that he was dead because um Katara you know, offers to, to heal him. She, she doesn't, she isn't able to explain, you know, at length, like I'm a waterbender and I have this water from this spirit oasis and I can heal him, you know, but she was trying to say like, I, I can help. And, and Zuko wouldn't let her get a word out. He flames out literally and figuratively. And I thought it was going to be this thing of, Oh, Katara could have saved him and Zuko wouldn't let her. And Iroh dies, and then later on, Zuko is going to find out that Katara could have saved him. Like, I just thought it was just going to be, 
tragedy. And I'm so glad it wasn't. But for the purposes of <laughs> <laughs> but for the purposes of this episode, I really I thought he was dead. Um, and I lost my mind. <laughs> it is so sad. And I was telling Mike this a little bit earlier before we started recording. And it's funny because like I don't have as many notes kind of going further into season two because I'm just kind of watching and enjoying more than I'm kind of being a little bit more critical about it. But I was telling him, I was like, so much of this is me yelling at the screen, Zuko, why won't you just let them be your friends? <laughs> and it's so realistic for him to just lash out at anybody who's going to help mm-hmm. him because he's not, he doesn't trust anyone. Right. Um, and it's so heartbreaking, too. And the way he says no when he cries out that, you know, when Uncle's been injured and he's just devastated... Um, yeah, and uh, I was like just let him, let them be your friends, Zuko. <laughs> I was just like yelling at the screen, like, and of course I've seen the show, but like it still makes me feel all those feelings, like just yeah. stop being such a sullen teenager. <laughs> do either of you guys remember? Do either of you remember the first time you watched it? Did you think he was dead, or were you? Well, no, the first I time I watched it. It was airing on television, like, probably new. Um, because by season two, I, I know that I was watching it, like, week to week. Um, because when they got to the drill, they made us wait, like, two months or something crazy in between. Anyways, um, I don't know that I thought he was dead, but I thought he was going to be out of the picture longer than he was. I, I didn't think he was dead. I remember that. But I think also because I assumed if they were going to kill Iroh, Iroh would just go out in a much more badass fashion than that. Like, you know, if if Iroh was going to have a death on, on in the yeah. show, he'd go out in the most badass way possible. So true, that's kind but- of why I was like, I don't think he's dead. But it's not Iroh's story, though. If we're looking at it from Zuko's perspective, it's tragedy upon tragedy upon tragedy. True. (laughs) Very true. (laughs) I did like the sinister nature of, like, Azula is cornered, and maybe she only has time to get one shot off. What would do the most damage? She picks Iroh. She guts Zuko completely, which, like, caves in the unity vibe of their little semicircle of... You know, and man, did she get away with it, like, perfectly. Strategically, it is brilliant. Because, like you said, it takes Zuko out because he won't be able to focus. And Iroh is the most powerful. Aang might have the most potential power, but everybody knows that he isn't fully actualized yet. And so he isn't the biggest threat there. Iroh is absolutely the biggest threat in that group. And I think Mike is 100% right that that shatters the fragile unity that they have there. You know, it's just, it's really... Azula? I don't know. I, I love this character, and I think she is just so fascinating and entertaining. I am interested to see where the show goes with her, because I really don't know what it's going to do. I don't know if... This is she's just going to continue to be psychotic <laughs> and, and dangerous, and that's no. Fine. She gets a hug and everything's okay. And everything's after that. okay. The power well, no, of love like, heals all. I don't. I don't believe in that in fiction. I don't think that that's a worthy character evolution. Um, 
you know, but I wonder, is there anything that Azula cares about deeply enough that it would hurt her or wound her or, or not, if not change her course, then just affect who she is? You know, everything that we've seen about Azula in either the past or the present, nothing touches her. It's all very, you know, the death of her cousin was nothing. The death of her grandfather was nothing. It's, you know, she's very, um, just aloof and, and it, and, and maybe there is nothing, maybe there is nothing or no one that would ever crack that exterior. And that's interesting too. And so lonely, um, you know, but, but if there is, I couldn't even begin to guess what it would be. So no matter which way they go with her, I'm just, I'm really excited to see what happens. It's, it's funny. I think at this point she's, it's all about power with her. Like, mm -hmm. you know, her, her main driving thing is who in her family has the most power? Who's the weak one? Like identify the weak one, point them out and, you know, gloat when they die, I guess. <laughs> she's really a master manipulator. Yeah. And just to point out, Kelly, because I remember the very beginning when we were doing the show, and we were talking about Zuko, and you're like, oh, he he's can't be the series villain because he's just a child. And I was like, well, you hadn't met Azula yet. <laughs> 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 and what's so great about Azula is that she's like, you know, she's clearly like a psychopath, but she's also like chillingly realistic, even for a child. Like, mm -hmm. she's only 14 or something, so she's not you know, she's a little younger than Zuko and a little bit older than the rest of the gang. And she's just this realistic portrayal of an evil, evil little girl. <laughs> just, you, wow. It's so, it's so chilling and it's so great though. She's just as a, she's a fantastic character. I love her. Whew. I agree. Oh, I wanted to um, talk about, I, I think we brushed over it, but the chase, once they got off of their crazy, land train or whatever we're calling that tank yeah, thing yeah. with the horn in the front um they exited riding giant lizards um, right <laughs> these like giant skinny long lizards with they're stripes geckos? they're like gecko yeah. type things i they're looked like them huge. up huge what you are did? they um there's only apparently there's only one type of lizard that can run on the water oh yeah yeah and, the... and it is called it has uh, two names both of them are pretty good the first one is the basilisk, and the other one is the Jesus Christ lizard. Yeah, that's what I know it as, the Jesus yeah. Christ lizard. <laughs> um, and even though they're only like, I think they're they're like 50 centimeters long or millimeter, they're, sure, they're like tiny, they're little lizards, they can pretty much clear about 20 feet on the surface of the water. Like, I think three quarters of it they run on two legs and they switch to four, but... They can haul ass across the surface of the water. That's crazy. <laughs> and when they did that in the cartoon, I was like, oh, I forgot <laughs> they do that. I, I did that too because they were like, yeah, as long as we just cross the river, we'll be okay. And um, it, it's, and then, of course, like they come up to the river and they just like, you know, shoot up. <laughs> it's creepy. Yeah, what I wrote down here about the lizard is they can travel about five feet per second for 15 feet bursts. And then on all fours, they can clear about... Another four and a half feet. Because nature is insane. Yeah, the reason I know it is, like, as a kid, I used to watch, like, a whole bunch of nature documentaries, and they had something like that on the Jesus Christ lizards. 
and they would like film them in like slow mo or like high definition and slow the film down so you can see them like walk across the water and what it looks like. It's really creepy. It's actually I'm sure really that creepy there's looking. Like a planet Earth or you know, uh-huh. one of those David Attenborough things. I'm sure that there's some I gorgeous love footage of David that out Attenborough. there. He's, He's hard the to hate. Yeah, he could narrate paint drying, and I'm pretty sure I would at least listen to half of it. Yeah. Mm. I don't think there was any new voice acting in this one, was there? We didn't meet in anybody else. In either of them. In, in, in both episodes we watched, there were no new voice actors. Everybody we've already been introduced to for at least a little while now. So, All right. that's that. Should we move on to better work, or was there anything that we didn't touch on for this one? I think that's it. I mean, like I said, character stuff, I liked it. As a whole, it was kind of there. <laughs> yeah. I got to see Earthbending. I'm happy. <laughs> All right. Better work. It's training time for everyone. Aang struggles against his own nature to find within himself the grounded strength necessary to bend the earth. Zuko cannot quell his rage and despair long enough to summon lightning, which leaves him dangerously vulnerable to his sister. And most tragic of all, Sokka swears off sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> I really meet. love this episode. I really yeah, love this episode. Yeah, me too. I, I deeply love this episode. Huh, okay. Tell me why you guys love it. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you say you love it? <laughs> I I didn't hate it or anything, but I I didn't come away with it being like, oh, I love this episode. So I just well. So first off, uh, it ends with Aang finally being an Earthbender, which right. is like such an arrival of like this entire time. That's all I I just want to get him to be an Earthbender, and then we can watch all the Earthbending happen. It'll be really good. Um, and also, because I'm, you know, simple and I like shiny things and moving objects, we got to see so many different types of earthbending in such a short amount of time. That makes my brain, like, bubble. I, <laughs> you know, she she did that, like, rock golem thing where I love he had that to push her back. Through, like a right? suit. I love How that. Good, yeah, that, that, like, <laughs> suit of armor made of rocks. That was so good. Anyways, yeah, stuff like that. And also... I did like the dynamic that um, Toph has, like, as a teacher with Aang. Like, it's it's shitty, but it's really good, and it's also effective. <laughs> I love this for character reasons. I think as, a, as an episode that showcases everyone's character, um, what Toph is like and what Katara is like. Because I love that she comes up to Aang, and she, or to Toph, and she's like, I know what works for Aang. He responds well to positive reinforcement, and Toph's like, uh-huh, sure. <laughs> like, um, but I think it, it encapsulates so well, much better than all the water bending that Aang had to learn in season one. First of all, we get much more quickly to him learning how to earthbend than we did in, in the previous season. But it, I, it, it's also shows you so much about Aang as a person that he likes to avoid conflict that he you know jumps out of the way when trouble happens he'll you know the first thing he asks he's like maybe if I approach it from a different angle you yeah. know, I can move it then yeah and that is really telling it's very telling about Aang as a person but and so 
the way everyone's interactions in this episode work off of each other, I think really illuminate very distinctly and show us exactly what these characters are like. It moves the plot forward. Um, it's funny. I laughed, you know, when Sokka's stuck in that little crevice in the, the saber-toothed moose lying pup cub or whatever. Fufu cuddly poops comes up. Yep. That whole exchange <laughs> is so great. Fufu cuddly poops. This is Aang. Aang. Fufu cuddly poops. Fufu cuddly poops. <laughs> um, so I, 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 I like that. And it also, I like the, the philosophy of, of this is Aang's natural opposite. His naturally yes. opposite element, which is why he's having so much trouble with it. And that he has to change his way of thinking in order to... He has to stand his ground, which he doesn't do. He will spin out of the way. He'll, you know, twirl out of the way and do all sorts of things. He has to learn to stand his ground. Which, in, in addition to giving him the mindset of an earthbender, it also kind of levels him up personality-wise. Like, he learns to stand his ground. So yeah. I think as as a character work, as a piece of writing, I think this is really excellent episode. Um, I also love the little guitar bits. Like, you know, she's not really a major player in this, but I love that he's like, oh, a Sifu Toph. And she's like, you never called me Sifu Katara. And the little hint of jealousy there I thought was so well played. Um, so there's just a lot of really nuanced character work in this episode that I really, really, really loved. That just makes this one of my favorites, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, it was a really great episode. I liked it. I I like that Toph listens to all of Katara's advice and doesn't ever contradict it or fight back or assert her own way of doing things. She just she either takes the suggestion by being like, "You're right. You know what? What would make this even more effective is if we blindfolded you." <laughs> So she either she either takes the suggestion to do it differently or she just, you know, nods her head and smiles and is like, thanks, Katara, and then just carries right on doing her own thing. But I'm glad that they didn't make it a source of conflict, really, for the two of them. Um, yeah, same. Because I think after the previous episode, I was really worried that we were constantly going to get Toph and Katara butting heads and I can see some of that likely just based on their personalities and so that's fine but I really didn't want this show to have to devolve into the two main girls in the cast just bickering all the time I, I didn't want that and so I'm glad we don't go there it just becomes a non-issue. You know, Katara is, offers her unsolicited advice, you know, constantly. And she's not wrong. I mean, it's it's the way I prefer to learn is, is in that way. But that way, that style of teaching was never going to get Aang to do what he needed to do. And so Toph's method I think was the appropriate one. I also think they made sure to show her being encouraging and giving him feedback that was positive. It's very reserved. Like it's not like the effusive positive feedback that Katara would give. But, you know, during their little training maj in the beginning before the they shoot the big boulder boulder down on him and he flies away but when they're doing you know more basic little things he'll do something and she'll like 
nod her head or she'll I think she like pats him at one point or something or like does golf claps you know it's like very like it's very like pie may like stroking the beard like <laughs> you know what I mean yes. Kill Bill. you know like it, very subtle uh, praise yeah she damns with fate phrase really she's just kind of like okay but like and, and what I like too is that it works for Toph's character because she wouldn't be the kind of person who gives effusive praise you know, she's just gonna... She's definitely the school of tough love when it comes to teaching. She's just like, you know, you're just gonna have to do it. Like, you're gonna have to sink or swim. You're just gonna have to do it. You know, no no amount of positive reinforcement is going to make Aang stand his ground. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I, when she's... I, yeah, I loved it. <laughs> yeah, and when she's saying, too, if you couldn't... If you couldn't stop the boulder like I told you to, then you should have at least had enough respect to let the boulder crush you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you should have at least had the dignity to let it crush you if you refused to try to break it. You know, like, just come on. It's disrespectful <laughs> to the boulder. I mean... Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I did like that, and I do think that it makes sense that he struggles with earthbending, and I liked that that they brought that out, you know, that it's not, it's not just the bending itself is hard, but that it's in opposition to his own nature. It is alien to him. It's the complete opposite of everything that he does naturally. And so I, I really liked that. Um, yeah. And then we've got this whole little thing with Sokka in the crack <laughs> Yet another part of this episode that I love. Uh, the whole thing is great. Every, just, like, start to finish. It's like his elbows are pinned. He's up there, like, to the shoulders, and his elbows are pinned to his side so he can move his hands at the wrists, but that's really it. And at one point, he tosses the boomerang, and it, like, thuds, like, five inches away, and he's like, now, come back. <laughs> come <Right>. back, boomerang. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. And he goes through, you know, we he kind of we kind of go to him for the comic relief, and so we see him at intervals and in his increasing desperation, and you know he's just kind of talking out loud, and he's like, "So if I get out of this situation, I will give up meat. I won't eat meat anymore." And then we come back to him later, and he's like, "So I'll give up meat and sarcasm." <laughs> and I just love he's like. That's all I got. That's pretty much my whole identity. Saga, the meat and sarcasm guy. He was singing the song of my people. It's He's so like, but true. I wanted to be Saga, the veggies, and the straight talk fellow. <laughs> Just, yeah. The whole thing is so And great. then the moment Aang appears, oh God, Aang, do you have any meat? Yeah. So good. So good. So good. I was like, Sokka, no, not your sarcasm. I know, right? You're just like, no. And he's so right that it is like one of the things that defines him. It's like, he's like, that's all I got. I'm Sokka, the meat and sarcasm guy. Yeah. And even when he starts, when he first sees the little moose, saber, tooth, tiger, cub thing, he's like, I know you're cute, but you're also made of meat. And very tasty, and like, and then he like evolves, and he's like, "Oh, you're so adorable!" And then we see that he's been named. It just like goes through this whole, this whole thing that's really great. And I guess I mean we can just skip to the end. It culminates with 
Um, well, actually, he has like a pep talk with Katara um, yeah. before he shows up um, at the saber-toothed moose lion situation. Um, they're, you know, bending water, practicing in the river or something. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, he does call her Sifu Katara, yeah. which is like I a nice little growth cute. moment for their relationship. Um, but once he shows up on the scene of, of uh, Sokka's situation... All the bad rock puns. There were a lot of them. But I love, too, because, like, the whole scene is Aang kind of pouring his heart out to Sokka, who's stuck in the crevice with, like, his hand sticking out. And the music gets, like, soft and, you know, emotional when Aang is pouring his heart out. And then when Sokka quips back, the music pauses. (laughs) He just lets Sokka kind of quip into the void. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what that's like at all. <laughs> right. I'd hate for you to feel uncomfortable. <laughs> and Aang's like, it's like I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place. And, and Sokka doesn't even respond to that one. He's just like, just makes a face. <laughs> Too easy. Low-hanging fruit. <laughs> but, of course, this um, all culminates with the parent, the mother, I'm assuming the mother, of yeah. the moose, the saber-tooth Moose lion. Ah, there we go. Yeah, and comes and this is when Aang, you know, he first he tries to airbend the moose away uh, to protect Sokka, but ultimately he has to sit there and just, you know, stand his ground essentially. And then, of course, he finds out later that Toph has been sitting to the side the whole time watching. Right. (laughs) Which I also love that reveal too. Um,. So yeah, that you know comes and he he when when it matters he stood his ground and he learned and he leveled up which you know that's where it culminates spraying. We skipped over the part where Toph was being an extra dick and stole nuts okay. from his bag and used his staff as a nutcracker and Ang got like slowly he starts out really calm like I sh- I'll share anything I have with you and she's mm-hmm. like great. Because I took this thing, too, and, like, every crack of every nutshell, he's like, it's it's an antique! antique. It's hand-carved by the monks! (laughs) It's delicate! (laughs) (laughs) And he did even, uh, he didn't earthbend to beat the moose. He, I mean, he stood his ground and airbended. Like, he combined the two, Mm -hmm. and that's, Mm -hmm. that's what Toph was, like, so impressed by, and... Mm-hmm. She got up all in his face and was like, bend a thing now! And he did it, you know. I also <laughs> think it's kind of interesting because, you know, you can do all the moves, quote-unquote, even if you have the ability, but if you don't have the right mindset or philosophy, it doesn't work. And that is actually what I found really interesting about this. Because Aang has the potential to bend all the elements, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but he needs to have the right philosophy in order to earthbend mm-hmm. and I, th- I think that also is a very subtle thing that they're kind of layering in there it's like it's not just the moves yeah we saw it a little bit with the firebending when he was studying uh briefly with the man whose name i now forget john john there you go with him yeah. he was studying briefly with him and and it was that was also part of the lesson that you have to discipline your mind. You have to be, you know, in the right mindset in order to do that. And we see that even more here. And I think it makes sense with earthbending because it is, you know, the 
sorry, but the most grounded, like the most um, stable, structured, you know, sort of element. And it makes sense that you have to be determined and have strength and have um, perseverance and endurance in order to earthbend. Well, then you have the whole segment with Iroh and Zuko, which we didn't really touch on yet. But Iroh... I love that scene, too, where he's explaining to Zuko the different elements mm-hmm. and the sort of the philosophy behind all of them. Um, it's, you know, clearly it's exposition, but it's just, it's done in a way that I really liked. I thought, you know, it it, it makes sense for Iroh and it makes sense for the characters and it wasn't like this, like, exposition dumped in the middle of... <laughs> This right. is the rules of the world that we and it made sense for Zuko. Too. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. It, it actually helps Zuko. It, uh, Iroh says this is what the Avatar does, but it can help you too. There's no reason why everyone can't benefit from this. So it was great because an info dump, like you, JJ was just saying, is like when there's when you just need to get a lot of information out, but you can't really connect it to anything, and so you just have someone blurt it out and then you move on. But this is grounded in the actual scene that it's happening in. It makes sense for Zuko's training that he needs to know this and it is important for us as the audience to know this too. So it works on both levels, which is great and hard to do, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, and Iroh had my favorite line of the episode, which was, no, she's crazy and she needs to go down. <laughs> yeah! I know! Yeah! It's like, I know what you're going to say. Azula's my sister and I need to get along with get her. get along. He's like, no, you crazy. Crazy bitch. Take that chick out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Talk about feels in this episode, too, for Iroh, because it opens with a flashback of his son. I right. know. And then we don't go back to that. I thought, you know, normally when we see flashbacks, it's a flashback episode. And we had just seen Iroh get injured, and I thought he was dead. And so we opened with these flashbacks, and I was like, oh, God. <laughs> like, I was dead, and we're going to see all of his, you know, past. And then when I realized he wasn't dead, I still thought it was going to be, you know, the being on the verge of death or being gravely injured was going to send him back to his past. And I'm sure we'll get more of that story eventually, or at least I think we will. I guess I shouldn't say I'm sure about anything. <laughs> but we didn't get it in this episode, and so it de- that did feel really out of place to me. I couldn't connect it back to anything in the episode because while Zuko and Iroh are now reunited and while they do have a father-son relationship, I feel like that that wasn't the emotional side of the of their relationship that we were examining in this episode. So the flashback didn't connect into it for me. I liked it. I just don't get why it was there. <laughs> I, I guess it's really, it's there to give us a little bit of Iroh's emotional past, I think, obviously, because, mm-hmm. you know, you see him with little Luten, and then you see Luten's grave, <laughs> which is really heartbreaking, and and then the next scene you see is him waking up to see Zuko, so it's already reinforcing what we already know, that he already mm-hmm. has fatherly feelings for his nephew, Um but yeah, the way it opened, though, it kind of killed me. I was just like, oh, God. Yeah, it's so, <laughs> so sad. sad. And then, well, and then the way it ends with Zuko standing on top of Yelling the... Yelling at a mountain, yeah. 
yelling oh at the storm cloud. God, mm. just weeping like hit me. It's never stopped you before, and like just because he's and the just. Thing is, it would be cheesy in any other show. You yeah. know, like the whole thing is ridiculous if you think about it. Like he's literally standing on top of a mountain in a thunderstorm, be like, "Hit me!" And you can imagine this like really melodramatic, cheesy, campy movie doing this and just doing it terribly. But in this, the way, because it all leads up to this moment too mm-hmm. for Zuko. So by the time we see this scene, it's really heartbreaking and not yeah. cheesy. <laughs> It's really earned, not just within the episode itself, but the entire series to this point. We have seen Zuko angry, and we've seen him depressed, and we've seen him go through all of these things, but he's never he he's never just been so bare and vulnerable in that moment. Even when he's talking to Aang when Aang is unconscious in the cave, he's vulnerable there, but he's still talking about all these things that have happened to me have made me stronger and I mm-hmm. embrace it. You know, he's still, he's not talking from that broken place, even though he's so broken. And we finally now at this point on the mountain where he just like cracks open and, and oh, I cried. Well, <laughs> shocker. And, right. The thing too is like when he, you know, he's like, I'm, I'm proud of who I am. I have pride, you know, and that's all he has left to cling to. And, and Ira says, no, pride is not the opposite of shame. It's the source of shame. And it, that like, I just like, like I want Ira to be my therapist or something. <laughs> he was such a great the therapist. Ira's the um, best. He is, he's the best. But, I that whole because like you know Zuko is absolutely at the lowest point. Period. Just he's at the lowest point. He had left his uncle, and then eventually his uncle came back to save his ass from his sister. <laughs> um, and so it just you know so and then of course he's trying to learn. He's trying to step up his firebending game, mm-hmm. but he can't do it. The whole thing where it blows up in his face constantly right. is like an extended metaphor for Zuko's whole life. Right. Well, and just the, the lesson that preceded the one about the four elements was um, how to lightning, produce lightning. And in that lesson, um, Iroh says that it is, another word for the lightning is cold-blooded fire because it's firebending without emotion, which mm-hmm. I really liked, too, because uh, a lot of Zuko's firebending is driven by, like, pain or rage or, you know, those those types of things. Honor. Yeah. yeah. And with Azula, that's not it at all. She's not feeling any emotions. No. She, you know, if anything, she's excited because there's a chase on or whatever, but she's got that psychopath thing where, like, hurting people excites her, so she could just empty out whatever emotional reservoir that might get in the way that keeps making Zuko explode, you know? Mm-hmm. She can. She doesn't even have that to get in the way. So mm-hmm. I, I just really like that explanation. And I really liked... I mean, it's a little cheesy, but the positive, negative energy, you know, separating them, having them come crash together, you're their humble guide. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. I really liked all of that. 
I really liked all that. It does make total sense that Azula can absolutely bend lightning because she is so devoid of emotion. And it makes sense that Zuko struggles with it because he is so emotional. They're not, you know, all positive emotions, but he is just constantly feeling things, even if he doesn't express them outwardly or verbally. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it makes sense that that is hard for him. And I love that Iroh recognized that it was essentially futile. Like, Zuko needs a lot of therapy before he'll <laughs> ever be able to bend lightning. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's got years of baggage. Years and years <laughs> of therapy. But I love that rather than, you know, push on, Iroh just totally changes tactics and is like, okay, you know what? We're going to stop doing that. Instead, what we're going to focus on is redirecting lightning, which I thought was awesome because we've seen him do it in that first, when we first meet Azula, we mm -hmm. see grabs him her hand, yeah. redirect the lightning. And so I thought it was really cool that I was like, okay, he's going to show us how to do this. And they go through and they practice together and it's really lovely and you can see that it's like a bonding thing for them and that Zuko feels empowered and then Zuko's like alright I'm ready to try it and Iroh's like what are you no. crazy like <laughs> I'm not gonna shoot lightning at you what if you fuck it up like or what if, like, you know what if anything you just can't do that yeah, Zuko's like, yeah, let's try it with real lightning. And, and Iroh just goes, are you crazy? Lightning's very dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> just like, puts a stop right there. And then, of course, Zuko's just like, well, fine. If you're not going to shoot lightning at me, then I'm going to go find go it. Find and it. it's so, it's just like, oh, God, it's so, such a dumb teenage boy thing to do. But it's also really, really, really gut-wrenching. It is a dumb teenage boy thing to do, but I also, I also think Iroh had to know that that was going to come next, be now. <laughs> because Zuko's serious. He is in pain and in turmoil and doesn't understand his place in the world or who he is as a result of all the things that have happened to him, but he is clinging to this as as a way forward. He's clinging to this, like, I'm going to learn how to stand against my sister. I'm going to get the avatar. I'm going to figure out what comes next. And the, the immediate thing, the first step in front of me is to figure out how to take down Azula because we're going to meet again. It's inevitable. And so this is the thing that he's clinging to while everything else in his entire world is just in ashes. And for for Iroh to only go part way, like feels like play acting. It feels like this isn't real. You're not you're not going to empower me. I need this. I need to be empowered, and you are refusing. You're cutting me off, and it's not, you know. So I I feel like Zuko's reaction was inevitable. This is, you know, this is like his lifeboat that he's clinging to. Not that he's correct. <laughs> Iroh is 100% correct in refusing to shoot lightning at him, but emotionally this was kind of, you know, of course Zuko is going to feel betrayed and, and cut off when when things don't, when he doesn't get to prove himself because he can't prove it. Right. If you won't shoot lightning at me, I can't prove that I can do it. And until I prove that I can do it, I'll never know if I can. And And everything in Zuko's life has been about proving himself 
against all the low bars and low expectations that his father has had for him. And so, yeah, it's just very psychologically loaded. And when he goes up there and, and, oh, it's just, it's terrible. I cried so much, you guys. Is this the first time we see Zuko cry? Yes. I think it is. I think it's the first time we see Zuko cry. Mm-hmm. It's actually this is the first episode where we actually hear him talk a lot. Period. Mm-hmm. Because pre- previously he's been pretty quiet. He says only a couple words. Like the whole Zuko alone episode, the present where he's in, he hardly says anything. Um, so this is kind of the first time where he's more open. You know, he's talking with his uncle. He's talking about things. He's talking about what he wants. Um, and so you start to see that kind of emotional wall that he's built up around him start to just completely fall apart. So I think this is the first time we see him cry. And he's standing up there and he's yelling at whatever the forces are of the universe. Like, you've you've basically made a shit show of my entire life, so you might as well just shoot me with lightning now. And, of course, it doesn't happen because nothing goes... Nothing goes Zuko's way ever. Ever. That poor kid. (laughs) I just realized that uh, Zuko screaming at the clouds or fate or whatever um, in a weird way mirrors Sokka doing the same thing yeah, like from all in the ground. Yeah, whatever fate is like karma, he'll give up meat. <laughs> right. I don't know, my, like, uh, whoever I was talking to about um, the Daria comparison, uh, we were just like goofing off casting, re- recasting people in this, our characters on the show. And I feel like it would be easy to make Zuko into Batman and Azula into the Joker. Like, really, <laughs> really easy. Yeah. Because yeah. their relationship is that thing of, like, he's serious. He's never going to smile. He's never going to laugh. And he's on, like, he's driven beyond, you know, by rage and anger and pain. And she's a sociopath who just kind of wants to watch the world burn. Literally. Literally. Yeah. (laughs) No, it's true. It's definitely true. Um, I don't know. I just... The whole Zuko Iroh storyline was, like, basically sitting there and and typing, like, the crying face emoji. That's, like, (laughs) all of my notes was just, like, the crying face emoji. Because, like, the whole thing opens with Zuko's clearly been... Looking after his uncle and, and healing him, yeah. and he's made tea. He's made tea horribly, <laughs> and, yeah. you know, and I was like, "Why do I have all the feels about this?" And he's like, "I hope you know. I hope I made it the way you like it, and it's oh. terrible." Yeah. <laughs> that scene too, where we're kind of looking over Iroh's shoulder, and like Zuko pours him another cup, he just kind of tosses it over his shoulder. <laughs> Ugh, it just this is like me. the stunted prince version of putting their artwork on the fridge. You know right. what I mean? <laughs> uh-huh, it's great. It's 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 wonderful, honey. Um, oh yeah. man, it just it was it. Yeah, this I loved this whole segment, and I also really liked Ira's explanation of of the elements and and what they stood for, and how he could learn. And I love that he tells Zuko that I learned or I created this firebending move, the lightning made He created it. It's not like he discovered it. He came up with it by studying the waterbenders. And I loved that, too, that he's like, I took inspiration from other philosophies and added it to mine 
or you know you used it to complement and learn more about mine to create something new and i i thought that was great and it's so iro <laughs> you know while he's teaching it it they're doing the same water bending in tandem stuff that we've seen Ang yeah. and katara do you know where they mm-hmm. mirror the same motion and just flow through the whole thing that's water bending mm-hmm. so I, yeah i love this whole episode I love all the Me stuff too. with Toph and Aang, and I love all the stuff with Zuko and Iroh, I thought. I just, yeah, this is one of my favorites. And I think, just in terms of the writing, I think it's one of the best in this season. So, that's more I agree. Cool. Yeah, I nice. don't think I have anything else. Do you guys have any spoiler stuff? Not, no, not no? particularly. Can't no. have anything... Like I said, I, I don't, right. I'm not taking that many notes in these because I'm just enjoying them and having feelings. <laughs> I'm sitting and I'm enjoying and having feelings. Nice. Um, but I do. I, I mean, I, like I said, I, I really liked the first season of Avatar, but this is really where it just gets me. I'm uh-huh. totally emotionally invested and, like, just in it. So... At this point, I'm just, like, starting to... It's... I'm also not going to binge ahead, but it's kind of killing me. (laughs) To not just, like, watch it straight to the end. Uh Uh-huh. Any last thoughts from you guys? No, I think that's everything. Yeah. I mean, these weren't, like... Okay. I rose dancing. (laughs) Oh, right. He does the war... Or the... (laughs) The snake or whatever, whatever the hell it's called. Whatever that movie is, but it made me laugh really hard. <laughs> that was really funny. Yeah, that's that's all I got. So, all right. That wraps up this week's installment of the Earth Kingdom Prairie Home Companion. Next time we'll be covering the library and the desert. So be sure to tune in for newbie recaps, know-it-all nerdery, and general squeeing all around. As always, you can subscribe to us via iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play Store, or your podcast provider of choice. Or visit us at our website, earthkingdomradio.com. And if you like us, please rate and review when you get a chance, as it helps other listeners find the podcast. You can follow me, Kelly, at Bookish Chick on Twitter or Instagram. You can follow me, Mike, at Robo underscore Pants on Twitter. And you can follow me, JJ, at SJJones, that's S-J-A-E-J-O-N-E-S, on Twitter, or my website, sjjones.com. Our theme music is Cattails by Kevin McLeod, and our logo was designed and created by our very own JJ. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. 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 do right now whenever there's silence like this all I want to do is just sing songs and I just have Beyonce's lemonade stuck in my head but I'm not going to sing it because JJ will put it in the bloopers (laughs) (laughs) and I'm not dumb enough to try to sing Beyonce in public there you are can you see me now? oh there she goes I was literally just like kicked off the call all of a sudden and then I came in on you being like I won't sing lemonade and I was like damn it (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.